had met Mike, and I had been discipled, and we'll explain that as we go along here, by a man named Taylor Gardner. And I struggled to be able to make disciples within, you know, the church context. You know, they almost repelled each other. And so that put me on a journey of, of really tr- seeking to understand disciple making and how to m- make it practical. One of the things that um, your leaders have asked us to do is make sure this is real practical um, as far as what it means to make disciples. And so 15 years ago, um, I grew up in the area here and we, we came back, Ryan and I, Ryan was single at that time. And the question was, if one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, someone who had been trained by him for three years, came to our neighborhood, Bartholomew moved in here, or Thaddeus, or Peter, what would they do? Uh, when they heard, um, go in the world and make disciples, after being with him for Jesus for three years, what came into their head? What did they hear him say? And then five years later, if we could follow any of the 12 to see how they implemented their kingdom ministry, um, what would they be doing? Yeah. And, um, and so that's what we want to do in, in Chicago. And um, part of that is ministering out of community. Jesus took the guys, formed a community of, tw- of 12 for three years. And, and then he, hospitality. Okay, all my ministry training, all my theological training, all my ministry training in small groups and church stuff, never was hospitality brought up. Okay? And yet, what's one of the qualifications of a leader of the church, of an elder? Is qualifications. And it's a short list. It is um, hospitality. It's a short list. And yet, that makes the list hospitality. And so, um, we came to Chicago not knowing anybody and just started making disciples and through hospitality. Um, and we're sitting in a four flat apartment building. There's 12, I don't know, 12 or 13 of it live here. And, um, uh, we're surrounded. This is a Jewish neighborhood. Uh, right now the Jew is cause it's Shabbat. The Jewish people are walking around here. It's an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And uh, on the other side of the street is uh, Muslim, Pakistani, Afghan, and then also Indian. So we're in a very cross-cultural setting here, which once again, disciple-making tears down barriers of, of, um, of, to these different people groups. Uh, you're seeing some of our, this is to whom we belong. Um, and um, it's mixed race, mixed age. And I, you know, one of the things that, I can't remember what conversation with Brad and with um, Mike and things is, you know, of the age of your congregation. I'm 63 years old and I am not cool, okay? I'm not. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) Ryan's agreeing with me. But we're surrounded by young people because disciple making removes all cultural barriers and removes age barriers. Um, but we have been trained to do ministry 
through means of church, which is both a culture barrier and a uh, age barrier often. And I, I am not saying you can't make disciples within Jericho Road That's or in church setting. I'm not saying that. But I'm broad, I want to broaden our perspective of what disciple making looks like and how we do it. I don't know. I'm done. Ryan, what else can I add to that? You get you get so intense so fast, Louie. This is sorry. The, you fluffy get to know you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> here's a here's a couple pictures, Josie. You can tell them about what's going on there. Well, uh, so we're a part of Icon Ministries, and it's Louie, which he founded the nonprofit. Uh, what like 13 years ago, Louie? 15, 15. 15 years ago. Um, and so it's Louie and then the Cyberts joined almost two years ago now. Um, you'll see the photo on the left is a very fine photo of Louie and Ryan. They like the caption on this photo to be the Sultans of Disciple Making. This photo actually took place in Central Asia a year ago. And it was um, simultaneously one of the best modes of my life and <laughs> one of Louie's worst, as you can tell by the disdain on his face. But he's such Why a good did I guy. let him talk me into getting that picture taken? I'll never know. That's the best $7 we ever spent, Louie. Admit it. <laughs> um, and then this side, our family is the photo on the right. Um, Mary Poppins is actually nannying our kids right now <laughs> as we're in here. So if there are interruptions, we apologize, but we're sure it will happen. Um, this is the Mozart house. We label ourselves. This is the four flat that we live in that Louie mentioned. So everybody that lives in this building is a part of our uh, community of faith, our church. Um, so in the city, especially proximity is so important because it's a pretty congested place and to drive, you know, eight miles might take 30 minutes. And so we've realized for our context, proximity is important in disciple making and building deep friendships. Um, Louis mentioned our neighborhood. It's very diverse and very interesting. As he mentioned, you head out our door and um, to the left and it's Hasidic Jews. Um, and a lot of, you'll see a lot of these buildings, a lot of synagogues, a lot of Jewish schools. Um, and then you head, to, but then you head to the right and you'll see a lot of women that are, uh, you know, have their head scarfs on and um, a very Muslim population. So our area is, is very unique. Um, this kind of hits on uh, years ago, we started praying just for inroads into the Jewish community and inroads into the Muslim community, um, trying to find people of peace. And God answered our prayers. And he gave us a friendship in a guy named Ed, um, who was a Jewish rabbi who came to faith in Jesus, which is close to unheard of. So he is a very special gift to our community. Um, and these are just pictures of, on the left there, that's a sukkah. Um, this is part of the Jewish, fe uh, Jewish festival. And so we did that with Ed. And it's a lot of getting together in the sukkah and sharing meals and sharing stories of, of God and, and how he led his people. And on the right there, um, I believe this is Passover. Um, am I right, guys? Yes, yes, it is. A Passover meal that Ed led us in. Um, we are whipping each other with green onion right there, but we won't get into that. Jewish tradition. 
Um, and this, the other two photos here just goes back to what Louis said, how much of what we do happens around our dinner tables um, or in our homes, especially when we think about um, cross-cultural ministry and working with the Jewish people or the Muslim people. Um, inviting them into our home is disarming. It's not threatening. It's an easy place to initiate friendships and build trust and create shared experiences. And I mean, there's not much of a better way to do that than around food. So we do a lot of that. Um, we also do disciple making trainings. This is our first one on Zoom, uh, but we usually do them at churches um, for elders and leadership, for small group leaders. We do them here in the States and we also do them overseas um, in Central Asia and in Jordan among other places. Uh, and then we also create a disciple making experience for short term teams to come and they stay with us in our homes and we teach on disciple making, um, the relational component of that and through hospitality and we, you know, give them a cross cultural experience. Um, usually these are teams of youth or young adults that come and stay with us for like a week. So that's kind of a snapshot of, of ICON and who we are and what we do and what we care about. Um, I don't know if you, Louis or Ryan, want to add anything to that? I'm good. Um, yeah, I mean, we're just a pretty simple group of people working really hard to, to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, when there was a group of religious leaders who approached Jesus one day and said, Hey, Jesus, what, what's the most important commandment? Basically, what, what's the main thing? And Jesus said, it's this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all your strength. Um, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So to, to sum that up, I feel like Jesus was saying, hey, love God and love people. And then he lived his life and his death and gave us a commission uh, to give us more insight into what that love people part looks like. So, so why are we here with you today? Why are we doing what we do in Chicago? I mean, it's three things. It's, it's because what Jesus modeled for us. Um, it's what Jesus commissioned us to do as his followers. And because Louis and myself and Josie have all experienced in significant ways the transformational power of what it means to be discipled, to be loved, and then also to be a part of making disciples. And so in that, we are, we are convinced. Um, you know, just, just briefly, my, 20 years ago when I met Louis Clark, the, the traje trajectory of my life was changed forever. Um, I, I was a classic, very, so I was 23 years old, just got my first job as a youth pastor in a church, and I was classically high in zeal, low in understanding. Um, and Louis just really came alongside of me. He befriended me. He served me. He loved me. He advocated for me. He taught me, trained me. And, but, but it, it wasn't a program that I was going through. It was, I was just getting together with him a lot. And I mean, I still remember a year into that, about a year into that. I remember the restaurant. I remember the booth. I remember the day, Mike and Carol, it was Izzy's restaurant on highway 10 Cancel road out West. If you remember. And I remember after about a year of being together, Louis looked like stopped the conversation, looked across the table at me, pointed his finger at me and said, Ryan, I just want you to know that I love you 
I believe in you, and I believe God has great purposes for your life. And I, I could have run out of that restaurant with two water pistols and taken on the gates of hell because I felt so empowered by this man of God who I respected greatly, who spoke these words into my life. And not only spoke them, he's been validating his belief in me and in those things for the last 20 years. And so we, we get pretty excited and pretty passionate. And Louis could tell the same story about, and maybe you will later, Louis, about the gentleman who first invested in him and opened his eyes to this world of disciple making. So um, that's why we're here. That's, that's what we're doing. Um, before we get going, though, I, a couple of things. Like we, we would love for this to be interactive. We would love to hear your questions, your thoughts, your comments. You know, there's a, there's a raise your hand function in Zoom. You could also just unmute yourself, start talking, uh, wave your hand around, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, I, I also am an adjunct professor at Moody Bible Institute, and I've been teaching classes in Zoom online. And it's pretty lame when it's just me blabbering for 45 minutes. <laughs> but when students are asking questions, making comments, that's where I feel like we're kind of making the salad together. So, so please feel free. Um, don't just glaze over it. I use the chat function too if you have a question or a thought you want to put in there. Um, Brian, I think the, um, I, looked, I tried to find, the hand raise is available on webinars, but I didn't see that it was available on open meetings. I might be wrong though. I'm going to put my IT person on it. Okay. It's one reason to marry younger because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> figure stuff out for you. Um, okay, so... So as we get started here, then I think the first thing we'd like to do is to solicit a little input from you guys. Um, so I'm just going to throw out a couple of questions, and I would love to hear some brave people throw out their response. But so the questions are, why are you here? Like, why are you a part of this this morning? Or alternatively, what, what are you hoping, um, what are you hoping to get out of these few hours together? So if anyone would care to share. It's, it's always hard to be the first person. So we're going to skip the first person and go right to the second person. David, David Young, <laughs> brave soul. Please go ahead. How, and, and tell us how you raised your hand. Unmute yourself and tell us how you did the hand raise. Uh, I went to uh, the participants at the bottom of your uh, screen. There's a participants uh, icon. That says 26, that's how many people are on, and uh, click that, and then uh, there's a little menu that pops up at the bottom. Beautiful. Beautiful. I can now lower my hand, too. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to meet Louis and uh, spent time with him and was really uh, grateful for our time together at the men's retreat, and uh, so this is both uh, just a chance to remember uh, as you said, you know, what is, what is it that Jesus both modeled and commissioned us to? And so for me, it's a, a remembering of the central call in the midst of all the other things that uh, demand time and attention in ministry and life. So. Great. Thanks, Dave. Are you David, Dave, Davey? Uh, yeah, Dave, yeah. Uh, DJ, they call me if you really want to get... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say for, it's Tish here. I'd say for me, um, I'm on here this morning because I, um, I would like to try and have a better understanding of what discipleship looks like as you're talking about in our context. 
Um, Tish, we can't see you. Do you want us not to see you, honey? You can see my right ear. <laughs> <laughs> I've got we want to see. We want to see your beautiful face, Carolyn. Um, yeah. So, really, just wanting to understand what that might look like in in our context, in our world, where we're not in the middle of a big city with apartment blocks, um, but I do live on the end of a street, so. That's really for me just trying to build greater clarity in my mind of this vision that Mike has spoken of since he's been here and there's such a deep passion in his heart and, um, and obviously yours as well. Mm -hmm. Great, thanks. Um, I just want to share that uh, I became a Christian, actually, as a result of uh, living in a community as a result of an outreach with Youth of the Mission. And for two years, I lived in a home with these amazing people. It was life-changing. They invited me to join with them on the streets and share my faith. They asked me to give testimonies, asked me to lead different events that took place. And the growth in my life was exponential. So I really believe in what you're saying to be true. Can you hear me? John. For me, I attended the conference with Louis last year. And it, it just rang a chord like the vibration was right with what I'd been kind of struggling with, which is I've been in the big C North American church since I was 14. Um, even younger, I grew up in a Christian family, but I became active, of course. I can't say I've been wildly impressed with the way we operate, the results of what we do, the impact both positive and negative on lives, as a, not as an individual church, but as the big church. And so when I started to hear this other way of interacting with people, it really kind of rang a chord Oh, this made sense. So I'm here to hear more about it. Oh. Yeah. yeah um, are we unmuted, Frank? Yes. yes you are. You are. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, we're new in a neighborhood, and uh, we find this whole isolation thing has been great because mm. we've built up our relationships with all our neighbors around us exchanging food, grocery shopping for each other, yelling across the road, helping each other. So I think um, I'm excited to hear ways we can go from there. Like um, we've already planned to do a, a breakout barbecue in the neighborhood. So I'm just um, wanting to have ideas of how to, you know, be natural about it, but to share your faith, but knowing the timing and, mm. Um, and the biggest thing is we're living it out before them. You know, when you rub shoulders with your neighbors on a regular basis, they, they see you going to church. They know what you're about, but you want to, um, it's always great to have some new insight, how we can uh, influence our neighbors or live life with them and mm -hmm. show the love of Jesus in a practical way. <laughs> Thank you.
Ken, got the hand raised? Yeah. Oh, hi. I just really uh, want to say that I, um, this is Shauna speaking. Um, I, re I really agree with what Audrey said and, and I joined with her in that, um, reaching out to the neighborhood, etc. But um, the main reason I wanted to be here today and was very excited about it, um, seeing Ken's excitement when he came back from the conference last year, um, and then reading, <laughs> then, uh, it's just, it, it, it excited me. Um, and uh, so I'm delighted to be here today and want to learn and um, receive what God has for us. So thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you. Hi, it's Brad here. Um, I, I'm, I'm um, overwhelmed by just the love of, of uh, Jesus that's just passing through this technology. <laughs> this is just very cool. Um, yeah, um, where am I going with this? Um, yeah, I think the practical side of, of this is, is really so important because, uh, you know, John said a little bit of it earlier, it's, you know, you, you, you get involved in a church and before you know it, you're doing all sorts of things which sometimes just don't relate well to one-on-one -on -one ministry. It, it, you're doing things together, yes, and that helps build bonds, but for a lot of times it's just doing things and it's, uh, it's, not, it's not really building the heart. So uh, this looks like uh, something that could help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, the idea of using our homes for things has always been a big part of our lives. And um, we live rather in a rural area and uh, it's, it's challenging to get people together. So we have to purposely plan stuff. You don't see the people on the street all that often, although we've seen more walking now than we usually do. But just really recognizing the practical aspects of stepping out and being vulnerable with people bringing them into our homes and finding a way to bridge that opportunity mm -hmm. to share the gospel. We can always learn how to do that a little more easily, deeper, look for ways. And so we're, I'm just really pleased to be talking to people who've really engaged in that and how we can maybe implement some of those things. Sometimes you just hear something and it sparks something inside you that says, yeah, that's, that's something I'm, that's the takeaway for me. And uh, looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My name is Charlotte. Um, my, I just kind of wrote down a few things here, thinking about what I'm hoping, um, what I'm hoping to be able to hear, what I'm hoping to be able to catch. And um, one of the things that's always been on my heart has been, uh, without vision, the people perish. And I think that even in in this aspect of being able to go out and to be able to meet your neighbor and just really um, casting a vision that paints a picture that's really, really clear that we can be able to, um, that we can speak to one another and infuse courage to one another. Um, 
and have it illustrated in practical ways so that we can be able to walk it out. Um, I think that we all have different ideas of maybe what this means, but nobody really talks about what this looks like or encourages one another as, you know, this is how it is that um, I practice discipleship today, or this is how it is that it went for me, or this is what it is that that um, I felt really good about in connection with my neighbor today. Those type of things are the, the type of things that my heart wants to hear today. Sure. Ev, did you want to share? Yeah, I just, for me, I think the timing <coughs> is, is really good. Um, I also had recently moved out toward the lake area and live on this crescent. And I've got to know several of the ladies. We, we walk together distancing quite a bit, but it's my heart is my passion to share God with them. And I can tend to come across once I do quite preachy. So I would love to hear this other, you know, the, the, the way that you guys present the gospel. Um, my age group is older, of course. So I, yeah, I appreciate whatever I can glean from, from what you guys have got to say today. And I'm grateful. I, I think an, an, another thing for me is, um, I mean, obviously just looking at the screen, we're, we're an older demographic and we, we have a future, but it's got to be one that engages a younger generation in a way that's impactful, um, probably beyond the bounds of what we traditionally known as church. But I think that's an important question. How does, a, 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 I mean, we're not exclusively older, <laughs> but we're predominantly, but how can we be effective in imparting our lives into a younger generation. And the fact that you two represent different generations, or you three, sorry, um, is, is important. I know you carry that as well in your hearts. That's, a, that's, that's significant for us, I believe. Mm -hmm. Carol, you're muted. There you go. I, I actually have a, a question. <coughs> You know, shy little me, I have walked all up and down and got to know all the neighbors and brought them muffins and, and tried to make friends. And the thing is that a lot of the time, um, okay, most all the time, <laughs> it's, it's not so much a relationship they want as what I can do for them, you know, like, um, I get pressured to babysit. I get pressured to look after their dogs and cats and, you know, fetch something off the roof that's fallen in the gutter or, you know, think, do, do think, run and run errands for them or go shop for them and things. And it, it's not so bad for a little, but then it tends to surmount and it takes up time a lot of time and then I tend to want to just back off and not answer the phone when I see the numbers <laughs> I, I need help <laughs> because I want to reach people for the Lord so desperately um but I don't want to be you know used all the time Um, Louis, do you want to speak to that now, or do you feel like you, that would? Be oh, yeah, 
I mean, we can. I, I, we'll get into the whole, the basis of everything we're talking about is love because God is love. And um, love limits. And if you don't limit it, it's not love. Um, when you said I do to my, your husband, you're saying I don't to all the other women and the men of the world. And when you say I do to your wife, you're saying I don't to all the other women in the world. When you decide to have children, your schedule gets shrunk like Ryan and Josie when they, they have two little children, you know, that's nap time. It's, you know, school time, it's bedtime. And, you know, but the whole reason you're limiting is so that you love well. If you don't limit, then you're not going to love your children well. You know, as you, if you don't limit, Jesus limited himself to 12. You know, why did he do that? Um, and, and so I think there is margins and boundaries is not unloving. In, okay, in my expo- American evangelicalism, the more the merrier, that God's blessed us, look how many people are here, and um, how we keep growing so fast, we have so many new people. Well, that's okay if you're trying to build numbers, but if you're trying to build, make disciples in friendship and have a love in the community, that's not good. It's a different value system. So you're going contrary to a lot of uh, North American evangelical thought in limiting, but in the limiting, you're actually multiplying. Does that make sense? I mean... Um, anybody have any other, uh, yeah, hopes or thoughts for today they want to share before Louie takes us away? Yeah, I, I just want to share that uh, when I first came to Portal Burney, after becoming a young Christian and living with YWAM, I really had um, a lot of ambition to change the world. But I found there was a, an older couple in our church, and invariably every Sunday they invited me home as a single man into their home. And when, when my wife, who is now sitting beside me, first came to see who, who I was all about, she's from the other side of Canada. And um, they also took her under their wing too. And, and it was an incredible, it was infectious. I mean, it, it left such a strong impression on my heart. I could see hospitality as being one of the most powerful, un underestimated uh, part of God's strategy. And I wanted to implement that in my life. And I can remember their influence so far reaching into my life. I wanted to do the same. And I found that other people who we've been hospitable to have also adopted that same conviction. So I'm very much along with you, Louis, on hospitality. Lynn, do you want to say something? Um, the original question, I think, was, why are we here this morning? Mm-hmm. And I'm, um, I'm pleased to be here this morning. And really, it's a, to me, it was about supporting Mike in what he has been rolling out for us uh, for about a year now. And the opportunity to... Um, to uh, buy in or to more fully understand in a, a pragmatic, practical way um, 
what this would look like in identifying vision and, and helping him, um, uh, helping me understand that vision, identifying the values that come out of that so that we um, move together, uh, move forward together. That's what it was for me. Thank you. Any other thoughts? I'm still thinking about that last phrase that Louis mentioned there that when we limit, we multiply. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something profound in that. And if you don't limit, you don't multiply. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you swamp the boat. And once you swamp the boat, I don't know how you unswamp it. You know, we all know what it is to be swamped with too many relationships. Yeah, exactly. And he's God. <laughs> um, Louis, why don't you go ahead and, and get into what Louis is going to share with us a little bit again. Feel free to ask questions now. We'll make a little space at the end of Louis's talk, and then we'll we'll break for a few minutes after after Louis's done. How how long does Louis have? Oh, you know, forty five ish minutes. We'll take a break. Okay. So, but question answer at the end. A lot of time for that. Okay. Um. By the way, guys, it's good to see you again. I've rec I rec recognize you and. Uh, I had a great time with you. Just wanted to say hi that I've seen your pictures up there on the screen. The, the bottom line is love because God is love. He who lives in love lives in God and God in him. That's what John writes. Um, in your notes, um, point number three, uh, there is the friendship comes from the essence of God. The earthly ministry of Jesus of Nazareth constitutes the one time in history of humanity when heaven fully and finally came to earth. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the opportunity to see the question, what is God like, answered in the flesh and blood world in which we live. During his incarnational uh, incarnation, Jesus not only procured our way to heaven, he showed us how to live on earth. Now we can pattern our lives after Jesus. Okay? And what is that? It is love. This is what love looks like. Okay? Not one Christian creed, go, go look them all up. Not one Christian creed uses the word love. Okay? That's a problem. And the problem for those of the English-speaking world, okay, talking about Britain and Canada, the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, is culture reflects language and language reflects culture. We have one word for love. I love a hot dog. 
I love my wife. <laughs> um, that's a problem. We're not a relational people. And, and so, so we're, when we start talking about disciple making, which in a word is love, what is the mark of a disciple, Jesus said? Is your love for one another. Not your love for the Bible, not your love for the church. He doesn't even say your love for God. He says, the mark that you are a follower of Jesus, a follower of me, is your love for one another. You can't separate John and 1 John shows us we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with people and our relationship with God people from our relationship with God. If a man says, John writes, uh, that, um, that uh, he hates his brother, he is a liar. You know, if someone says, I'm, I hate my brother, uh, you know, I love God, but I hate my brother. You are a liar. You cannot love God who you cannot see. Um, when you don't love your brother who you can see. Okay. So, so it's the, my relationship with people and my relationship with God, because we're created in the image of God. We are, we are designed to be connected with God in love and to connected with um, our brothers and sisters in Jesus in love. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the foundation from which, from which I'm building. If you give me two words for disciple making, one is love. The second one is friendship. Okay. Um, now, what is a disciple? Dallas worded to me sums it up. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to love, because what did he say? My command is this, that you love one another. Okay? As the Father's loved me, so I've loved you, and my command is that you love one another in the same way. Okay, so when you are, quote-unquote, discipling someone, you're teaching them what it means to love, to receive love, and to give love. It's not, some people are, give me love, give me love, give me love. And some people resist love. You know, I have a guy I'm discipling right now where he resists it. You can't really love me. Yeah. And then there's other people who just, you know, love me, love me, love me, love me. But it's, they don't know how to love others. And so it's both and. And I think the reason Jesus disciples in community is he's teaching Peter how to love John John, how to love Thaddeus, Thaddeus love how Bartholomew, and how to be in community and having a servant's heart and putting the other people in the community ahead of you. Um, remember on the road, they're traveling and they got to the house and Jesus says, what were you guys talking about back there? You know, and they had been talking about which one of them was the greatest. And he goes, that's not what we do. Okay. And, and so, um, it's teaching people what it means to belong and what it means to be loved. Again, as Jesus showed us, God comes on earth one time so we can see what he looks like. And what does he do? He forms a community of people. And um, look at my second point. Point two is disciple making is friendship. And what does he do? He calls these guys his friends. 
All right. So God, the basis, the basis of all of, of disciple making and friendship comes from the essence of who God is. Um, and uh, we'll look at that in a minute, but in, and the, but, and it's the basis of love and um, love is two dimensional. Uh, one is it desires for the objective good of the beloved of, of your disciple, of your wife, of your children. It desires, I want good for them. But then there's a second desire, and that is for union with them. Because, again, we're reflecting God. God wanted, he not only sent his son in pen, to pay for the penalty of our sin, okay? He wanted our, what was good for us. But then he also wanted to be unified with us. He adopted us into God's family. We now belong to God. All right? And this goes back to the hospitality piece. What does Jesus say to his disciples when he leaves? Don't be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a room for you, a place for you. That's, that's hospitality. That's belonging. You belong in this house. When I would go to my mom and dad's house, I knew I belonged there. I knew there was a bedroom for me to go to and sleep. Okay? And so, so it's two things in love. It's the, what is good for them and then to, belong, and to be in union with them. So when you're making a disciple, you are desiring and you're building a union with them. It's not about what they know. Okay, they've certified now that they've been through this course and they know these 10 things about uh, disciple making or just 10 things about the Christian faith. Okay. That might be part of it, but what it's union. The mark that you are a disciple of Jesus is love. Okay. And so, so what you're doing, and is that hard work? That's terrible. I would much rather teach a class on here's the 10 things you need to know as a Christian than to work it through relationally with someone for them to understand what it is to be loved and for them to love others. That's why it takes three years. That's what Jesus did with his guys. What makes you think you can do it fast? What makes us think we can do it better than what Jesus showed us to do? You know, it just amazes me. Um, so, so the two dimensions of it are the love for them, what's good for them, and then to be in union with them. Okay, friendship comes from the essence of God. We see this with his relationship with Abraham. We see this as relationship with Moses. Um, Abraham was called the friend of God. Uh, Moses, God, God speaks to him as a man face to face. And then when Jesus comes on earth again, we can see what God looks like. He's a friend to Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He's a friend to sinners. He's a friend to the marginalized. And then he calls his disciples, my friends. You know, you are my friends in John 15. Now, um, I believe friendship is a, of major importance to God. That's why he gives chapters of it over in uh, 1 Samuel, in the example of Jonathan and David. Even the world, most of them know of Jonathan and David's friendship. Um, and when you look, read the book of Proverbs, what's it about? friendship and um, <clears throat> I'm reading from first Samuel 18 and this is the context here is David had just killed Goliath um, 
he's a 17 year old shepherd boy. Okay. And um, it says, and David had finished talking with Saul. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Okay. Again, there's this union thing going on and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and he did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Okay, and again, it's, it's about love. If you don't understand the love dynamic of disciple making, then you're, you're thinking in terms of how the world thinks of mentoring. Okay, that's, that's not what disciple making is. It's, it's love, it is sacrifice, it's laying down your life for somebody else. Um, Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing, gave it to David, along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, what I want to do is put this in its historical context, because I think this is, this is getting down to real, the pragmatics of what Michael was talking about um, with our generation. I'm putting myself with you guys. I'm 63 years old, okay? Um, so I'm, I'm putting myself if I was in your shoes, because I am in your shoes. Um, in, in your notes is the chronological um, chronology of the life of Jonathan and David. And here's what we know from this. Just to interrupt there, Louis, they don't yeah. have notes yet, but oh, the, oh, the oh, notes oh, will oh, be forwarded. Oh, Just so okay. Know. okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so um, in your notes that you will receive... Uh, I have the the timeline. Jonathan had to be 20 years older than David. Okay, we have we have in the scriptures we have the um, the ages of Saul's children, and um, we understand how old Jonathan was. And so, at this point, Jonathan is a 35 year old dad who's a crown prince, who's been leading armies, okay, and been in leadership, and he's, the, and he's the crown prince. He's to be the king over Israel. And he makes this covenant with, um, with David, and, and covenants are not between equals, okay? Our tendency is to see Jonathan and David as these two fraternity brothers, you know, college-age kids who have this great friendship. That's not what it was. It was an older married guy with a 17-year-old who's the crown prince, okay? David's just a shepherd kid, all right? And um, covenants in the Bible were not between equals. Uh, a covenant is an, it's an agreement, and it was a pattern of uh, where in the, near, in the Near East where the, the, the conquering king and the vassals, the people he conquered, it was a treaty between them. It was the conquering king and the conquered. It was not a negotiation between parties. And here's what the expectations are. And that's what you see here is that Jonathan made the covenant with David. The greater reached out to the lesser. All right? And, um, and then he gave him things, symbols of that covenant. Now, the pictures here go, to me, go back even as we come to the Lord's Supper and communion, 
And what does what does Jesus say at the at the you know at the Lord's Supper? This blood, um, drink all of it. This is my blood of my covenant, which was poured out for for many sins. Okay, here Jesus is establishing a, a covenant, and I think every time I take the Lord's Supper, I'm renewing this covenant of friendship that God has established with me. You know, I don't know what denomination you guys were raised in, um, but I was often afraid of communion of the Lord's Supper because I was taught, um, you know, if anyone takes this unworthily, some people have died because you've taken this unworthy. So rather than the Lord's Supper being a place of joy and communion, it was deep reflection. Okay, is there any sin in my heart that I need to confess before God, you know, and am I right with God? Versus, no, this is, this is expression of love. This is an expression of friendship. When I went to my first Jewish Passover here, um, I was invited. It was, okay, these, these were non-Messianic. It was a Hasidim group here at the end of our street. And it was like a party. You know, and I was expecting this sober experience. Well, the reason it's a party is because to them, we've been delivered from slavery. You know, we're now out of uh, slavery and we're celebrating, we're redeemed. In contrast to the Lord's Supper I was raised with, which was sober and almost fear-based. Um, so Jonathan establishes the covenant with David. And so pragmatically, you know, you, and I want Ryan to address this later, you in friendship are reaching out to the lesser quote unquote, and creative ways of establishing the friendship. And are there even symbols as the blood was a symbol in the Lord's Supper? And here we see the robe and the tunic and the sword and the bow and the belt. These were symbols of the friendship. How, how can I establish with them, you know, that, um, that I am reaching out that they are of value to me? Um, and okay, I think it takes a year and a half at least when I'm discipling somebody where they start getting comfortable with the friendship because they don't know, they don't know how to have friendship. They don't know how to belong. They don't know how to connect. Okay. And, and so you're teaching them what it means to, to belong. And, and here's the side point. Okay. There isn't a smoke machine cool enough for your church services to impress the young generation. Okay, there's not a PowerPoint that you guys can do. There's not music you can do. And guess what? The young generation, they don't care about that stuff. You know, what they're longing for is to belong. Their homes are jacked up. Their friends are messed up. They don't know what it means to belong. And when you reach out to them, no matter what their generation is, is that going to be intimidating to them? Yes, because they're afraid. Every time they've been in a relationship, they've gotten burned. Yeah, and so you're you're showing you're showing them the way of love. That's what disciple making is, and it's going to take time. All right. Um, looking here at my time. Make sure I'm doing all right. Um. Jonathan was at least 15 to 20 years older. And 
their their friendship was 13 years okay we forget that 13 years long they um they ended up being brother-in-laws uh jonathan was the oldest child in his family david was the youngest jonathan was held in high regard by people in first samuel 14 people really liked him a lot David was ridiculed by his own family. He was considered the runt. And you remember his brothers making fun of him and mocking him. And um, so I, summing up their friendship, okay? A true friend, when you're discipling and you're making this friendship, you are surrendering um, to God's purpose for your life um, and for the lives of those around you. I am surrendering that this is going to be a sacrifice okay look at john look in um uh, you know i'm i'm reading from uh first samuel 23 and saul's john saul's son jonathan went to david at horish and helped him find strength in the lord don't be afraid he said and and that's part of what disciple making is last night i was in an hour conversation with someone i'm discipling on okay you're just acting out of fear this is not okay he says don't be afraid my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant. So now you see the two of them making this covenant. It's gone from Jonathan reaching out to David. Now the two of them are making a covenant before the Lord. And Jonathan went home, and David remained at Horish. Okay, so you are, what is God's will for my disciple, for my friend? And how do I join the Holy Spirit in, in getting there? is your friend and maybe your best friend maybe 20 years older than you or 20 years younger than you or more okay um remember when we used to fly on airplanes it seems so long ago <laughs> the flight attendant uh would broaden your perspective by saying look for the nearest emergency exit and remember, it may be behind, the closest exit may be behind you, okay? What I want to do is broaden our perspective of friendship and understanding of friendship. Um, and, and that, uh, again, your, some of your best friends in your latter life here may be 30 years younger than you. And um, my dad uh, passed away a year ago this month. And he was almost 90 when he passed away. And at his funeral, um, there was a 25-year-old seminary student who spoke. All right? And he shared his story and how my dad reached out to him when my dad was 78 years old and the kid was 13 years old. He goes, I remember your dad sitting down to me and we would talk about the Lord. And he would believe in me. And even as a teenager, my dad would have him speak at inner city 
ministry things, you know, even though he was just a teenager, dad would give him opportunities to speak. Okay. When my dad became to the point where he couldn't get out anymore, this now college kid and summer student would go to the Dairy Queen, pick up ice cream. One of my dad's weaknesses was ice cream, even though he was a diabetic, we, we could never get him to behave on eating ice cream. So he, uh, Brandon would go get my dad ice cream and bring it to my dad's house. And then they would just sit there and talk about the Lord. Okay. Here's my point. What if dad had not reached out to this 13 year old kid? Nobody would have, you know, that that's when you, when you look at your, the world you live in, whether they be within Jericho road or just in your neighborhood or wherever, if we don't reach out to them in friendship, nobody will, especially these young people, you know, there, there is probably not going to be anyone who will reach out to them in their lifetime to show spiritual interest in them. And do they care that you're 60 years old, 65 years old, 78? My dad was 78 years old. They don't care if they're, if, no, if they are loved, if they're um, showed, someone showing interest in them. You know? and, and that's why Jonathan and David's backgrounds were totally different. You know? um, and, and, and friendship, there's going to be difficulty. Okay? That's just part of what friendship is and understanding what true friendship is. And, and that's, um, and helping your disciple navigate the difficulties in their own life. To me, if there is a curriculum for disciple making and following Jesus, it's suffering. Okay. It's not a notebook on this is what you need to know. It is suffering in your own life, in your own experience. Has it not been suffering that's conformed you to the image of Jesus? When have you grown the most in your life? is when you're suffering, okay? And most people will go through suffering alone. So when you, in friendship and disciple making, you're coming alongside your disciple and bringing God into it um, and demonstrating them love. And, and that's where, okay, this, if you are not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to lay down your life, which is what love is, you're not going to make disciples. Because that's what disciple making is. Um, Ryan uh, demonstrated to me friendship. Ryan's a great friend, okay? Just Ryan on the call. And has often demonstrated uh, friendship to me. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I went to get the diagnosis. And he goes, no, I'm going with you. I said, I'll be all right. He goes, no, I'm going with you. So he, he came. And sure enough, the doctor said, unfortunately, and whenever a doctor begins a sentence with unfortunately, you know, you know, you're, you're in trouble. And, um, so I was diagnosed with cancer and, and, um, we walked outside and there was a park across the street and just sat on a, a bench there. And at that point, all that you, all you care about is love who loves me, you know, and who do I love? You know, everything's getting real clear in, in, in those moments. And um, I told everybody that day I'd want to spend the evening alone and um, with the Lord. And so I was, that's what I was doing. And I get this call from a guy I was discipling, you know, a kid, college kid. And 
he was working in the marine marina here in, on the lake and uh, fueling boats. He says, can you come pick me up? Um, uh, my parents called and they just separated and I'm devastated. Well, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was get in my car, drive over there, pick him up. <laughs> you know, I was having my own crisis. Um, but at that moment, I felt like I needed to. It felt like the spirit said, you know, go get Brantley. And, um, and it was our souls were knit together forever as out of my own suffering, I'm ministering to him and his suffering, you know, and showing him, okay, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of how we're conformed to the image of Jesus. And so it's, um, and, and this allows just being available, which we'll get into more later. Okay. I've been talking too long. Uh, we'll take a break here as far as Ryan, you want to do questions? Is that, or? Yeah. Yeah. People have okay. questions. Talk back. That'd be I have a question while people are thinking of their questions and uh, we turned off our video cause we got bombed by a two year old who's, who's in here with us now. Um, but Louis, man, that's a really powerful story. When you, when you talked about your dad um, reaching out to that younger man, but practically speaking, how can older folks um, engage younger folks? Like what, what can that look like? Well, I, again, I think what I'm trying to do is change our whole Western paradigm of relationship and what ministry looks like. Okay, let me give you another example of tied to. I'm not, I'm not sidestepping your question. I'm, I'm going to answer through the back door. C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy, is, is an amazing work. I think it's better to listen to than it is to read, but. Um, what he says in there says, I'm 54 years old. I'm a Don at, uh, at Oxford. Um, I'm published. I'm a radio personality. But in my autobiography, I'm basically going to tell you about the first 14 years of my life. Because I believe that my view of God, my view of myself, my view of the world around me is set by the time I'm 14. Okay. In the West, we have a tendency to pat the kids on the head and the 14-year-olds. Someday when you grow up, when in reality, they have already, a lot of those things have already been established through suffering, you know? C.S. Lewis says, I believe a schoolboy suffers more in one day than an adult does in a year. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's learning how to listen even to young people um, and I, cause I remember even when we did our stories there, um, at the retreat, um, most of the time we were talking, we were talking about the first 18 years of our lives, even though we were all 60 plus because we were, that's when we were formed. And so understanding that is, and, and listening to the story of these, of a teenager or a, even a college student or someone in their 20s. And because most people will never have anyone listen to them. So I think just learning how to listen and ask questions. That's why in my book, there's 200 questions. 
and you know, sitting down with somebody with a 15 year old and say, I'm gonna ask you as a list of questions, I'll just answer them, you know. I can um, kind of illustrate that from what I've witnessed with, with Louis. So when we were in Little Rock, Louis would come around to be fed, uh, come around for dinner, <laughs> hang out at home. But it was, it was memorable, noticeable, remarkable to me that he would prioritize speaking to our children. And I think that was both memorable and impactful for them as well, because it wasn't just a casual conversation, because <laughs> Louis doesn't have those. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but both the fact that he would prioritize that, and I can still see him sitting in the den talking to my kids uh, individually and taking interest in their lives, asking questions, you know, pressing into things through what they say. So both listening and, and asking. And, you know, I'm forever thankful as a parent because sometimes our kids will listen to others more than they'll listen to us. But, but I'm also, you know, all of our kids know and remember Louis. And they're not all in regular contact with, but uh, it's amazing how far that goes. Well, and, and I would say too, each this is a child of God and is the apple of the heavenly father's eye. How dare I treat them less than that? You know, and, and just constantly reminding myself this man and this woman, no matter what their age, if they're five years old or 50 years old or 75 years old, they are the delight of the heavenly father, the apple of the father's eye. I had better treat them accordingly and value them accordingly. And is, it, is God any less at work in a seven-year-old than a 17-year-old than a 27-year-old or a 57-year-old? No. And just recognizing that. So. Louis, what would you say to somebody who uh, has a desire to disciple, but they feel inadequate? They feel, well, I don't know the scriptures well enough. I'm a bit shy. Oh, what can you say to someone like that? Well, do, do you know how to build a friendship? Because I, again, our systems are built around extroverts. Our training is around for people who are extroverts. We need to listen to the introverts because introverts often are better at relationships than the extroverts. Now the extroverts might have a bunch of buddies, pack, pat them on the back friends, but as far as true intimate friendships, um, I think ought, we need to be listening to the introverts. And again, we've, we've bought into this idea that what disciple making is, that I have to be qualified to be able to um, teach them about the Bible, teach them about theology, teach them how to do ministry. And you know, do you understand our brothers and sisters there was no Bibles for them to have to do Bible studies up until the printing press 500 years ago. So how did they make disciples when you didn't, you know, have a Bible and say, okay, go, go read Proverbs 31. They didn't have Proverbs 31. You know, so how did they do that? And so it's, it's getting back to the relationship. Now it's, it's teaching them God and Jesus and, and the gospel, but it's through relationship. And how, how do I be a friend uh, to these people and learning those friendships. Did I answer the question or not? Ryan, help. Ryan helps me and Josie, I get on rabbit trails. Mm -hmm. Am I yeah, answering the question? I mean, just in addition to what Louis 
shared, I think that we are, as a culture are very content heavy. We're very curriculum driven. And I think what we're trying to say is, um, of course, there's a place for that. There's so much good in that that can help um, strengthen your discipleship relationship. But could we also use life as a curriculum? Um, what is important to this person I'm discipling right now? And how can I enter into that for them and with them? How can I walk alongside them? Because I feel like in my relationships, it was my discipler being able to scratch where I was itching. It wasn't just like talking about all these different topics that have to do with the Christian life. It was, what is Josie struggling with right now? Where is her doubt? Where is her unbelief? Where is her mistrust? Where is her, you know, all of these things. And it's entering into those things with that person and, and sharing the truth um, of God and of Jesus in those moments and in those things that are very relevant to her or to him at that time. So, um, of course, Bible study is good and opening the word of God together. Yes. Um, but even like Louie mentioned, the listening piece and how important it is to listen to their story um, and listen to them and what's going on in their life and, and maybe where they're struggling, what's important to them and how you can come alongside them in those things. And so using life as a curriculum as well. And, and I think too, in answer to the question is being sensitive to where they're suffering, people are suffering, because that's usually where the, um, where the, you know, the spirit is at work in their life through where they're suffering. And also when they're suffering, their mouth is wide open for input, you know, and where, and that's why it's not a curriculum. That's where it's, it's where do I, where is the spirit of God working in their life? Cause I may be saying, okay, I think it's really important for you to memorize these verses where in reality there, God's spirit is over here working them in a whole nother dimension. And I just want to join the Holy spirit where he's at work in her life or his life. Not what my idea is that they need to have. It sounds also to be able to do these things. We need some emotional bandwidth. We need some, capacity for compassion and obviously sensitivity to the Holy Spirit um, and, and an, an ability to get outside of ourselves and our own stuff. I mean, it's, it sounds like it's important that we're doing that kind of work as well, even though that's ongoing, um, just to be present to people. Well, and that's why I think you disciple in community, in, in a group of people, where you guys can encourage one another, or when you have a dilemma, you can talk about, hey, I'm discipling this woman, but here's blah, blah, blah. What do you guys, what's your input? You know, am I, you know, like uh, one of the questions earlier about, you know, people want me to do all this stuff for them. Well, where can the rest of you help the others draw boundaries? And say, no, you're, you know, you're, you're reaching out to too many, you're serving too many people, um, or, and here's okay, and when we had a dilemma, Ryan and Josie and I, Ethan and Annie, we'll talk about, hey, what's we're stuck with this person? What do we need to do? And that gets us into learning disability, find out the learning disabilities. We work with a neuropsychologist, a trauma psychologist, um, because we we don't look at the the disciple and go, you know, what they're just stubborn. What's wrong with them? We look at us and go, what are we missing? Okay. We're the disciples, so we're, we should be looking at what are we missing to help this person? 
And that's why I think the team is so important to disciple the team. So tied to that, can I just ask, because you use the expression, I may be discipling so-and-so, but with the community. Um, <laughs> sometimes people can go to many counselors, so they can be bouncing around different people. Do you encourage people to have a primary <laughs> disciple, so to speak, um, person yeah. in their life and, and vice versa? Or how, how do you, how do you I, Usually that? there is that. And I think probably Ryan will talk a little bit about this in the pursuit. And there is that loyalty to the one. But then like Judy Staniford, 50-some-year-old single woman uh, in our group, like and with young singles in their 20s, one of the guys, Jeff said, she's the first healthy woman I've had a relationship with in my life. My mom was messed up. My grandmother was messed up. Every girl I've dated has been messed up. Well, Judy has spoken into my life like an aunt, you know, and then she, another one, another one guys said, okay, Judy is the first woman in my life who nurtured me. Okay. Now someone else was discipling them primarily, but Judy had a big impact in that process. And, and so certain spiritual gifts speak into that, that person, um, you get my point. Yeah. Hi. Sorry. I was just going to ask, um, like, uh, in sharing a lot about, uh, you know, doing life together, discipleship and community, uh, the high, high touch, high relationship aspect. So, um, and obviously, you guys' paradigm is somewhat related to the housing that you share. If you, were, if you were to maybe just highlight a couple of things about uh, those of us that are in our individual houses and building some of those same kind of connections and with that same kind of intentionality, but in a different context, as it were. Well, we minister out of our own apartments, though. Like Ryan and Josie, they have their own thing going on down there. I have my own thing going out of my this apartment. You know, it's each one of our homes is the base. Each one of our apartments is the base for ministry. Um, so I just, you know, um, but, you know, it gets, it goes back to even those of you sitting here on this call are connected relationally through Jericho Road. And I think built us being, you know, you as a team of people being aware, okay, who, who are you discipling? I might not know them, but what are you hitting any um, bumps in the road with them? Okay, let's have a cookout and invite these 23-year-old kid I'm working with into my friendships here. And you go, well, that seems weird. It's these young people, they want to belong and they don't necessarily care what the age is. You know, and just it's so it's it's okay, Ryan, just you answer that question. I'm getting too uh uh, I mean, practical. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I, as a forty-two-year-old, uh, like I, I love hanging around sixty-year-olds and seventy-year-olds. And if you're eighty years old, even better. Towards <laughs> <laughs> your question, like I'm, I'm not really concerned if you have a, a seminary degree or you know worked for a church. Like I, I have a lot of great books that I can read. I have a lot of great theological voices that can give me input. But I'm just looking to be around someone who's real someone whose life I can watch, someone who's going to care for me and ask me questions. Um, 
and and Dave towards towards your question, like, I mean, I there's a lot of things I don't know how to do. See see these hands? They are so soft. These hands, <laughs> I, mean, I can use a screwdriver and I could probably hammer a thing. But like, Frank, I would love to come over to your house and have you teach me how to like make something. Or if if, if that's your thing, or David, like I don't know if you're, or you know, Josie, like who has older women who teach her how to make this recipe or things like that. Like you have things in your arsenal because you've lived life and you know things that younger people we desire and we want to be around. And we don't know, even a lot of times we don't know how to ask for it. We don't know how to, where to find it. But it, as you are seeing people around you and you're seeing something in them that says, Hey, I bet they might be interested in this, you know, and invite us into your space because we have so much to learn. And, and because you have so many, again, it's just experience. I just feel like I have this little cup in my hand because I'm 40 years old. My cup is not so big yet, but I just want people like you just to pour into it. And that, that's theological truth. That's practical stuff. That's how to raise my kids. That's, that's how to, I don't know, build a swing set in the backyard. Like it's just, there's so many opportunities well, to pour in. And I, and I would say our generation, those of us who are boomers, we're, we're not wired like that. If the younger generation is wired differently than we are. And they do see, they do want the older, which I don't think I did when I was younger. <laughs> so I, I think, well, why would they, I didn't when I was younger, but it is a different, because I think they didn't have, even their grandparents were divorced, you know, and their parents were divorced and the home was, a, you know, not a safe place. And they just, they're longing for that safe place. And then, right. I wonder, I wonder if you, go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. Well, it, it seems appropriate time-wise. We need probably take a break, comfort break, okay. <laughs> get a drink, um, just stretch our legs, yeah. that kind of thing. But if you want to conclude, that would be fine too. Oh no, I'm I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to uh, jump in no. and interrupt things there. But, no. uh, so, um, what is it? It's ten thirty. Let's. Uh, I mean, you don't need to leave the call. People will be around, but um, maybe if we just recommend at 10.45 formally, that okay. sound okay? 